The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch crushing! Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. Last but not least, we have finally made it to pitching. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball today on Tuesday, December 6th. Frank Stanfield joined by Scott White. And we're jumping into starting pitchers with a recap of the top 24 from this past season. And should be a lot of fun. Scotty, as promised, I am wearing a Santa hat. You are wearing a Santa hat. We are all sent it out. What's going on, bud? Santa baby. Slip a sable under the tree for me. Is that your jam? It's fine. It's fine, jam. It's fine. I feel like we've talked about this a bunch of times. Your favorite Christmas song or holiday song is... I forget. Oh, I like, I like really traditional stuff. Like, right. basically, Christmas hymns. So... <laughs> <laughs> You know, like Hark the Herald Angels Sing, stuff like that. That's, uh, that's more for me. The classics. The classics. The classics. Oh, you know what? I'm looking at our Santa hats here, and we, uh, I don't know. It's kind of odd that two, two, both of us are wearing red. Only one guy should get to wear the red one, you know? Why? Like one of us should be the elf, shouldn't we? Which of us should be the elf? <laughs> I, do not, I do not have an elf hat, Scott, so I'm, uh, I'm out. That's too bad. That's too bad. Uh, here's the plan for the next two weeks, by the way. We're kind of we're gonna elongate our starting pitcher recap and early preview for uh, next season because frankly, there's just so many pitchers to talk about. So today we're gonna do a recap, as I mentioned, on uh, Wednesday night and Thursday morning. you we will get a pitcher prospect pr- part one with the Welsh. and then next week we'll have early starting pitcher ranks and then prospects part two also with the Welsh. So that's the breakdown for the next coming weeks. But let's just jump in, Scotty, and we'll talk about, I guess, a macro look at starting pitching, and then we'll just like jump into all the, the specific players. But Alrighty. league-wide starting pitching, and we've said this plenty of times, but much better than recent seasons, specifically starting pitchers. 4.05 ERA is the lowest we've seen since 2014. Whew. Fangraphs has league-wide pitching stats dating all the way back to 1993. 
1.26 whip among starting pitchers. The best that we have seen since they started tracking it. Wow. So just puts it in perspective how much parity there is, how many viable starting pitchers there were, and how deep this position really was this past season. Uh, it's kind of weird because strikeouts were actually down uh, according to strikeout rate and K per nine, but balls in play were not nearly as dangerous. We know that home run to fly ball ratio was the lowest it's been since 2015. And it's got, yep. again, as a result, uh, better pitching overall. And that's why our early strategy looks like we can at least pass on pitchers in the first three, maybe four rounds, and then really dive into the position because it's much deeper than we've seen in years past. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's that's how I think we should approach it. I know I've been I've been one of the more vocal people, I feel like, about drafting pitcher early in recent years. I didn't like it. Uh you know, for all my time doing fantasy, which goes back to the 2008 season, I was uh I was basically the opposite end of the spectrum. I was like, don't pay for pitching. It's it's uh volatile and it's there are a lot of redundancies there and you're more likely to find an emergent option there in the middle rounds or even during the season than among the hitter ranks. And then during the juice ball era, which lasted from 2016 to 2020 or 2021, it definitively ended in 2022. We can say that much with it going back to home run to fly ball rate, the lowest since 2015, which is the year before the juice ball era. So we'll say 2016 through 2021. We'll call that the juice ball era. And um, it was a, it was a topsy turvy time in fantasy because pitchers were still volatile. They were still fragile. They were still not safe investments, but they, they were where you could get the most differentiation. They were, they were, that was the position where you could distinguish the, yourself the most from your peers. And um, hitters, the hitter ranks were where there were all the redundancies and where, you know, in, investing early at a position wouldn't necessarily buy you a, a clear advantage there. So thankfully that era is over and we can get back to a more traditional approach, hitting versus pitching. I think it's going to take some people time to recalibrate. You know, 2016, we're, we're talking about six years ago that this started. For a lot of people, that covers their whole time playing fantasy baseball. So it's, uh, you can take advantage of, of, um, of, of them having to recalibrate and um, maybe not pivoting as quickly. And, you know, the, the other thing is some people might look at last year and say, okay, well, it was just, you know, we, we shouldn't we shouldn't undo everything. We shouldn't overturn everything we know about fantasy baseball because of one year. It could just be a fluke. But we know what's behind it. We know that there was a deliberate effort to deaden the baseballs. We know that humidors were installed everywhere. And we know what kind of uh, effect a humidified baseball has or the, the environment has on a humidified baseball. And... Um, so the reasons home runs were suppressed totally makes sense. All right. So well, yeah, there's, there's, there's no reason to think it was just a one-off unless, unless baseball decides to change all those variables again. Which would not surprise me one bit, Scott, because they have changed environments. They have changed baseballs. They have changed a lot year over year, even month over month over the past couple of years. So it's been tough to figure out. But obviously, I think we need to move forward 
with the environment that we just saw, and obviously uh, we just broke that down. So let's get into the recap of specific pitchers, and I've got the top 24 here from this past season, and we're going to go in clusters of three, kind of like we did for the outfield position, Scott, and let's start off with the top three. Justin Verlander, who we did an emergency podcast on earlier in the day, so if you want to hear more of a breakdown of his it does, doesn't really change much with him going to the New York Mets, but if you want to hear us talk about uh, maybe the early value on a Justin Verlander and his ADP, you can go check that out. Uh, but Verlander finished as the fourth overall player in Roto this past season, the top starting pitcher, and he was the American League Cy Young Award winner, a huge bounce-back season coming back from Tommy John surgery. Sandy Alcantara. Sandy? Tell me about it, Stud. The National League Cy Young Award winner finished 11th overall in Roto. Just a ton of volume here. He's got 228 and two-thirds innings for Sandy Alcantara. By far the most in baseball. The next closest was Aaron Nola with 205 innings. Uh, Sandy, much better control, command than we've ever seen before with him. And actually, Alec Manoa, if you eliminate Otani because he ranks very highly in Roto because of his offensive production as well, Manoa was the third best starting pitcher in fantasy baseball, 18th overall, 2.24 ERA, a whip just below one, uh, 25 quality starts that was tied for second most in baseball. Three names here, Scott, three very different pitchers at three very different time periods in their career. Verlander, Sandy, Alec Manoa. Yeah, Alec Manoa is the surprising one. I would have taken me, I would have guessed quite a few pitchers before I got to him finishing third this past year. And he's the one of these three who isn't going to, isn't really going to be in the running for number one overall pitcher next year. Uh, because I think there are reasons to expect regression, especially with the 224 ERA, because he's less than a strikeout per inning. I think we got his, I think we got Alec Manoa's absolute best case scenario in 2022. And while he's really good, while I'd be fine with him as my ace, there are at least a dozen pitchers I'd rather have than him. So Justin Verlander and Sandy Alcantara, the two who finished ahead of him, are are actually, depending on the scoring format, one is my number, Verlander's my number one pitcher in 5x5 in five five leagues, Roto Leagues. Alcantara's my number one pitcher for next year in points leagues. Verlander, you know, we kind of got an, in, into this in the emergency pod, how... Early ADP, he's going 11th among starting pitchers, which I think is totally an ageist response. The fact he'll be 40 last year. I understand it sounds scary, but I think for given all the risk factors for a pitcher, age is, is like very low on the list um, because it doesn't matter how old you are. You're very likely to get hurt. I think the best indicator that you won't get hurt, that you hold to hold up over a whole year over a big workload is that you've done it before, especially you've done it lots of times before as Verlander has. So I, I actually consider it almost a mark in his favor that he's been around that long. He's, uh, you know, proven his, um, uh, how, uh, there's a better word, but durable. He's proven how durable he is. So, yeah, I, I, I like Verlander number one for five by five leagues. Alcantara, what really sets him apart, you mentioned it, Frank, is the volume. And not just overall innings. This is an amazing stat for Alcantara in 2022. 14 times, 14 of his 32 starts, nearly half of them, he went 
not just six innings or more, not just seven innings or more, eight innings or more in nearly half his starts. It is unheard of. It's like something from 30 years ago. And obviously in points leagues where innings are worth three points apiece. That's that's really valuable. Now I expect Alcantara to regress in some areas too. He had a 228 ERA this past year. Uh, that's compared to a 292 XERA, 299 FIP, 329 XFIP. So those three ERA estimators are very close in, in their estimates for what Alcantara should have done. And I think that's a fair estimate of who he is. Still really good marks if his ERA was that, but obviously it's not 228. So that's why um, that's why Alcantara is not not a clear cut number one in in roto leagues necessarily. Mm-hmm. And some people might try to ding Sandy Alcantara for the lower K per nine and the lower strikeout rate overall, but because he throws as many innings as he does, two hundred and seven strikeouts this past season finished eighth among starting pitchers. So I don't know that we would expect him to throw two thirty again. It just Seems kind of hard to repeat that much volume, but I still think he's the odds-on favorite to lead baseball in innings pitch again this upcoming season. Pitchers four through six this past year included Julio Arias, 21st overall in Roto, Corbin Burns, who was 26th overall, and Dylan Cease, who was 28th overall in Roto as well. Uh, Julio Arias got even better than he was in 2021. He now has 37 wins over the past two seasons. That is the most in baseball. No other pitcher even has 30. Julio Rios has 37. That is a massive total for him. Corbin Burns, we know that he had a rough stretch in the second half, Scott. It was specifically a seven-start stretch from August through September where he had a 5.62 ERA and a 1.27 whip. I dug into it. There, there was nothing that I could really point to. I mean, maybe he was just unlucky. Swinging strikes were down a little bit during that time, but overall, still a fantastic year for Corbin Burns. And then Dylan Cease really, really broke out. 2.20 ERA, 1.11 whip, 227 strikeouts were fifth most in baseball, really just leaning into that slider, which is one of the best, maybe the best in all of baseball. And it seems to be a formula that works for Dylan Cease. So uh, three more pitchers here, Scotty Julio Arias, Corbin Burns, and Dylan Cease. So Burns looks like the odds-on favorite to go number one among starting pitchers last year. And I'm I'm of two minds as far as that goes. He did exceed 200 innings. He got to 202, which is a big a big milestone for a starting pitcher, particularly one who makes himself out to be an ace. That was an increase from 167 the year before. So I uh, wasn't confident he could get to 200, but he's shown he can. That being said, his his uh, effectiveness slipped a bit, as you mentioned. Was it related to that increase of in, in innings? The fact it happened in the second half makes it makes you wonder. It could have been just bad luck, like you say. Uh, but that's why I have him. That's why I have Verlander, and I don't think just Verlander ahead of him, ahead of Burns heading into next year. Is is uh, you know I'd rather see him. I'd rather Burns. I'd I'd like to see Burns do it more than once, and it's not like in terms of ratios he really stands out from somebody like a Verlander, uh, but really good, obviously. Yeah, Arias. You know that's the wins. He pitches for the Dodgers, and he's he's probably the most stable starting pitcher the Dodgers have. So I would expect that to remain. Uh, the case for Arias, him, him to remain a big winner. The Dodgers are going to remain a big winner. There's no doubt. He's also very reliable for ERA. He is he is one of those pitchers, Arias, who is 
unusually good at limiting hard contact. And so you look at a number like XFIP, it's it's never going to look that strong for him, but XERA has consistently been good for him. Uh, I'm normally... I'm normally not somebody who appreciates X or who who favors XERA for pitchers who um, who counts on them limiting hard contact year after year. But the fact Arias has already done it for so long, I, I would say he's he's an exception to that preference. And that preference may be weakening anyway, given that uh, the ball's playing differently now and all forms of contact are less dangerous than they were before. Uh, that's another reason why I am. I'm pretty bullish on Arias. The, the downside for Arias is that he doesn't take on the biggest workload. He's he's durable in, in terms of not going on the IL, but he has yet to have a, a, even a 190 inning season, much less 200. So that's going to push him outside of the the top 12 for me. One thing I wanted to ask you, Scott, about Arias, and I guess the Dodgers pitching staff in general. With the shift ban coming this year, these are pitchers that have routinely run really low BABIPs. And, and that's why we see the ERA indicators much higher for someone like Julio Arias compared to his actual ERA. Any concern there that maybe the Dodgers have done a really good job maximizing the shift and getting the most out of their defense, which obviously helps their pitchers, whereas maybe they can't do that as much moving forward without the shift? Any thought? Well, I hadn't thought about it. It stands to reason that could be that could be a factor. Uh, like I said, all forms of contact are less dangerous now. And Arias, he's not he's not especially ground ball prone, right? Plus, he's a left hander, so you would think teams are mostly uh, batting a bunch of righties against him, which would make for fewer infield shifts. So, I mean, I don't have actual data on that, but it just stands mm-hmm. to reason. I would not factor that so much into my assessment for him, but it's something it's, it's kind of a, it's, it's a, it's a broader idea worth considering maybe with other pitchers. Yeah. Particularly ground ball heavy types. Yeah. I agree with that. I mean, I guess we could bring it up when we talk about Framber Valdez, but you know, it's, it's something worth considering, especially as many ground balls as Framber Valdez does get. Starting pitcher seven through nine from this past season, you Darvish finished 29th overall in Roto. He was actually fourth best in fantasy points per game. Uh, just a ton of quality starts, 25 of them. That was tied for second most. Big bounce back year for you Darvish this past season. Carlos Rodon now proved that he can uh, do it nearly over the course of an entire year. So for those who were worried about Rodon's health, like me, shame, shame on you. And then Zach Gallen uh, was number nine this past year. 34th overall in Roto, uh, another one like Rodon. If you're worried about the elbow, the forearm, the shoulder, a uh, multitude of injuries for Zach Allen, shame on you because he was ridiculous. Thanks by just an insane second half, Scott. 1.49 ERA, 0.74 whip, up over 10K per nine for Zach Allen. I looked into it. He did up his curveball usage quite a bit. It went from 19% in the first half to 26% in the second half, and that is a nasty, nasty curveball for Zach Gallen. Uh, three pretty intriguing names here, Scotty. You Darvish, Carlos Rodon, Zach Gallen. Yeah. So Carlos Rodon is, is my favorite moving forward. I mean, he's the one who had the ridiculous strikeout rate 
And he's now proven his durability two years in a row. Remember, he kind of fell off late in 2021, and, and there were some concerns as he entered free agency. That's why he signed a short-term deal with the Giants. Back on the open market, coming off a new career high in innings, and uh, without without really falling off like he did before. He was, you know, his 12K per nine led the majors. He actually led the majors in FIP too, 2.25. So I think Carlos Rodon is the most, uh, the the one you could s- most safely call an ace of these three. You Darvish, his ups and downs are going to kind of hold him back. I think he's capable of doing this again, but we've just seen so so much inconsistency from Darvish throughout his career. Remember, going into last year, he had uh, plenty of we had plenty of concerns for you Darvish as well because his 2021 second half was just a total disaster. He's no spring chicken, are you Darvish? No, no, uh, it's not a young guy. So, uh, yeah, that's what I have to say about him. Zach Allen, yeah, I was really concerned about Zach Allen. We both because were. of yeah, I mean, and he was he had that elbow issue, and um, where where it looked like he had some UCL damage at some point in 2021, and the, and the swinging strike rate fell off over the course of the the rest of the season. So to see him bounce back like he did, I have a feeling he's going. His value is going to be inflated quite a bit from the second half, and it's going to price me out of the the Zach Gallen competition again because he wasn't at least season long strikeout rate, certainly swinging strike rate. They were still pretty modest, but he he did pitch much better down the stretch, as you said, and uh, the final numbers are very strong. 9.4K per nine, you know, that's not so ace-like. Uh, but a career-best walk rate and uh, certainly no health concerns for Zach Gallon right now. All right, let's move on to 10 through 12. From this past season, we had Garrett Cole, who finished 35th overall in Roto, Aaron Nola, 37th overall in Roto, and Shane McClanahan, who was 38th overall in Roto. Uh, Garrett Cole led baseball with 257 strikeouts. He also led the American League with 33 home runs allowed. I think you can point to the XFIP Scott and the Sierra and say, man, Garrett Cole was unlucky, but this is now two years in a row where his ERA has actually been a decent bit higher than his ERA indicators. I think this is kind of just where he's going to live. Low to mid threes ERA, a ton of strikeouts. Garrett Cole is still really valuable. He's just not that standout SP1 that yeah. we have seen in years past. Uh, Aaron Nola, big bounce back year for him. 3.25 ERA, 0.96 whip, 235 strikeouts. Those were fourth most in baseball. And his control was just otherworldly. 1.3 walks per nine, 70% first pitch strike percentage. So really taking advantage and getting ahead of hitters this past year. Shane McClanahan's kind of a toughie to figure out, Scott, because everyone knows I loved Shane McClanahan coming into the year. You know, when he was being drafted around pick 100, now you're probably going to have to use a second or third round pick on him. He was still really, really good, but he dealt with a shoulder injury last year, and after he returned, his final four starts, he had an ERA over five. His swinging strike rate was below 10%. They were tough matchups, two against Houston and two against Toronto, so maybe that has something to do with it, but I kind of want to hear or see more from Shane McClanahan in the offseason and spring training before I'm looking to invest. So uh, three awesome pitchers, but, you know, some mild concerns with some of them. Garrett Cole, Aaron Nola, Shane McClanahan. Yeah, I think the most concerning thing for Cole and why 
for me, he's not really in the discussion to go number one overall next year. I still have him ranked high, but not number one overall is because he is now the clearest ERA liability among that high, high end group of starting pitchers at a time when ERAs are going down. Garrett Cole's coming off a year with a 350 ERA. That's just, I mean, it's, that's bad. And and the FIP was 347. I mean, it was right there with it. He's, he's, he remains home run prone as that's becoming less of a concern for other pitchers. So it's kind of leaving Garrett Cole behind. Did lead the majors in strikeouts. So there's still a lot to like there. Yankees are going to provide him with a, uh, lots of run support you would imagine and a chance to win a lot of games but yeah it's he's he is clearly an era liability especially given the amount that you'd have to pay for him the range that he's being going to be drafted in and i share concerns for for shane mcclanahan uh you know he hasn't he hasn't taken on that big workload yet and as the innings piled up this past year his effectiveness really dropped off Maybe it was just the the shoulder impingement. It was an ill-timed injury, and and it impacted him. Uh, but the fact he suffered that injury as the innings began to pile up, I, I think, is is not necessarily uh, cause for relief either with Shane McClanahan. So he'll be very he'll be ranked very high for me too, higher than he finished twelfth among starting pitchers. Uh, because he was certainly on pace to finish better than that if he hadn't missed that time toward the end of the year. But the concerns are great enough that... I mean, the concerns are great enough for a lot of those high-end guys that I'm probably just going to pass them all over, right? Whether you're talking age for Verlander or ERA for Greg Garrett Cole or durability for Shane McClanahan. Like, there are big enough question marks with that high, high high-end group of starting pitchers that it's just like... You know, there are a lot of really good ones after that because of how much easier pitching has become with with all the changes that we talked about. So we talked about that a little bit on the emergency podcast, Scott, but you know, maybe things will change in ADP and the way people are drafting, but right now you can get someone like Justin Verlander or Zach Wheeler or Max Scherzer in the fourth round of drafts. It seems like, I don't know why Wheeler's being uh, undervalued, but those other two probably because of age, right? So... Are you still willing to pass on those guys even if they're going at this cost as like a fourth-round pick, something like that? Well, less likely Verlander if I'm ranking him number one than a Zach Wheeler who you mentioned who would, I don't remember exactly where I have him ranked, but closer to 12th. But here's the thing. I, I for, for Roto League specifically, head-to-head points a little different, of course. But for Roto Leagues, 5 by 5 scoring, I want to take any pitcher in round one or two. I don't care who is there with the 24th pick. Like, I'm, not, I'm not taking him. So if I wouldn't even consider any starting pitcher till round three, it's hard for me to say that in round four, I'd have to, you know, I'd have to jump at whoever happens to be there, no matter how good he is. Because I'm not, no, no starting pitcher is worth taking till round three for me. And, and I'm saying it's, it's not even a given I take one in round three. Mm-hmm. I think just based on our, I think you and I both kind of draft similarly in that we use like a tier-based approach, and it seems like there's a top seven or eight starting pitchers that are all within that top tier. 
if they're slipping into like the third or fourth round, then I'm going to be very tempted to do something like that. I generally agree. I mean, first two rounds, it just doesn't seem necessary with how deep um, the elite starting pitchers are this upcoming season. But we we still have some time to see how that kind of shapes out as we get into like February and March. To put it in perspective, uh, uh, Alec Manoa, who you said finished third this past year, I'm ranking him 14th. Julio Arias, who you said ranked, what, fourth? I'm ranking him 17th. You Darvish, who you pointed out, ranked seventh, finished seventh this past year. I'm ranking you Darvish 19th. And the reason I'm doing that isn't so much because I think they're bad. Uh, certainly, that's certainly I don't think Julio Arias or, um, or Alec Manoa is, is bad. Darvish, you know, gives me a little more pause, but he's probably going to have a good year too. It's just because there are that many other pitchers who can slot in between them and be just as good, if not better. And so that's that's a really deep class, unlike we're used to seeing in recent years at this position. And there's a really strong middle class at starting pitcher too, which was completely eliminated during the worst of the juice ball years so that you really had to have a standout starting pitcher or you might as well have not had a pitcher at all. And as a result of pitching being better and just this overall offensive environment, there are less standout hitters, truly elite standout hitters. You know, I mean, once you get into the third, fourth round, it feels like the hitters that you're getting in those rounds are not, they don't stand out as much compared to the hitters you'll get like two or even three rounds later. So it's all yeah, all yeah, seems kind I mean, of jumbled up at that point. There's a clear drop off, I think, in the hitter ranks after it's a little later than that, but it gets it gets really gross. At I need to do a more I need to do a few more mock drafts to get a better sense of when it exactly it is. But it might be as early as like round seven. It might be more like round ten, but somewhere in that range. If if you're if you're still shopping for hitters after that is you're really uh, you're really not going to like what you get. It's either sell out for upside or settle for me- mediocrity. All right. Well, let's hit a quick break. But before we do that, you may have noticed that we are putting out some short form content recently on our YouTube channel. Uh, but we are also putting it on our TikTok account. So if you have TikTok, make sure to follow us at FBT Pod. Again, we have all these. 30 second, one minute videos coming out. Uh, you know, I clipped some stuff from our Verlander and Trey Turner discussion. So again, you can find that on TikTok. The link is in the podcast and the YouTube description. Let's take a break and we'll be back right after this. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale with Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases and shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval, no minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. All right, before we get back into starting pitcher recap, I do have some news and notes. Some smaller signings, Scott, that we haven't gotten to in the past couple of days. Zach Eflin signed with the Tampa Bay Rays on a three-year, $40 million deal. And this past year, an ERA just over four, a 1.12 whip. That's actually pretty good. Uh, The underlying numbers look even better for Zach Eflin. We know he has that nasty curveball, 155 batting average against, and a 43.5% whiff rate. 
The question will be, can Tampa Bay work their magic and, and get the best out of Zach Eflin? It wouldn't surprise me. He's not a priority or anything in drafts, but I think he's just a name to remember considering he's now on Tampa Bay. Yeah, I, that this is a weird one because that's a lot of money for yeah. Zach Eflin for any team to give him, but especially the Rays. Uh, was it was it three? Yeah, three forty. Like you said, three years, forty million. That's the biggest free agent contract in Rays history. They're giving it to Zach Eflin, <laughs> wow. a guy who's only once had an ERA under four, uh, and that was th- three ninety seven ERA in twenty twenty. And it has a history of knee problems on top of it. And and this is the guy the Rays are shelling out for. Uh, it's interesting. I, I mean, given that they're the Rays, I'm inclined to think they see something here that uh, the rest of us don't. And I will point out Zach Eflin had a 327 XERA this past year, despite having a 404 ERA started using the curveball uh, more as the year went on, especially in relief. And that seems to be his best pitch. So maybe, maybe the Rays are, are thinking they're going to uh, encourage him to emphasize that even more. And, and, and uh, maybe Zach Eflin becomes something uh, pretty special, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not uh rocketing about my rankings or anything. I'm not making him a huge priority in drafts. He just, he becomes kind of a fringe sleeper for me, I guess, with this news. All right. Well, are you going to rocket Kyle Gibson up your ranking, Scott? Because he signed a one-year deal with the Baltimore Orioles. And this past season through August, he was actually kind of serviceable as a streamer type 4.08 ERA, 1.20 whip. Final six starts, 9.73 9.73 ERA, 1.99 whip for Kyle Gibson. Honestly, Scott, the, the biggest takeaway I have for this is that it might take away a starting job from somebody more interesting for the Baltimore Orioles since they have... Obviously, this isn't going to stop Grayson Rodriguez from you know getting the call whenever they want him to, but you know, does this allow them to keep Dia Hall in the bullpen or uh, even someone like Kyle Bradish who flashed a little bit towards the end of the season. Uh, that You know, those are the biggest takeaways for me on this. Yeah, probably not. I mean, f- first of all, I would say nobody's that interesting other than Grayson Rodriguez. So um, it's hard to get that stressed about it in fantasy. I mean, Kyle Gibson, who is not that interesting himself, <laughs> might be more interesting than Kyle Bradish. But, you know, they, they could kick out Tyler Wells, uh, Austin Voth. Like, they, they, have, they have other pitchers they can shed before, before they get to the more interesting ones. All right. Carlos Estevez signed with the Angels, a reliever who comes over from the Rockies. He does have some closing experience, so perhaps he can work his way into the mix. I don't think that they have a dedicated closer. I mean, Jimmy Hergett was closing down the stretch for them, and uh, he was okay, but... You know, perhaps this is some kind of open competition, but just a name to remember in deeper Roto Leagues, Carlos Estevez. Other tidbits. Did you see the terms of that deal? Two years, $13.5 for Carlos Estevez? Like, the relief pitcher market is crazy. Pointed it out a few times, but why is that guy getting $7 million a year? What? I haven't looked into his home road splits, but maybe he's performed well outside of Colorado in his career. That's the only thing yeah. I could think of. It's- our, the the RP market's crazy. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and I, and I saw Liam Hendricks is being shopped, or there that there's interest from teams in Liam Hendricks, and, and maybe it's because his contract looks pretty good now, relatively speaking. Yeah, 
And look, if <laughs> if teams are willing to shell out some crazy contracts for relievers, who knows what some team might be willing to trade to get a Liam Hendricks. So uh, we'll see what happens there. I mean, I guess if they traded him, Kendall Graveman would be the next man up in Chicago, but uh, we'll, we'll see yeah, what happens. We'll see. I mean, obviously the, Rocky, uh, the Rockies, the White Sox have designs on competing so it's you know i'm not i'm not sure it's going to happen but it, it it is something it is an idea that has been tossed out there during the game. other tidbits worth mentioning here mookie Betts could play more second base in 2023 according to manager dave roberts chris bryant quote looks good and the rockies are optimistic that he'll be healthy for the start of spring training. Uh, he only played 42 games this past season due to plantar fasciitis. Sean Murphy is atop the Cardinals list of trade candidates. And on Sunday night, we got a report that there was a, a trade close to being done for Sean Murphy, but no details came out after that. It's someone linked into the Braves and then that, that got squashed. Yeah. So it's, it sounded like the Braves were the front runners at first, but then that, yeah, that got shut down. It doesn't really make sense. It makes sense. <laughs> yeah, because they have Travis Darnell and William Contreras. I had no right. idea what was going on there. But but yeah, I mean, some, a team like the Cardinals would make more sense for Sean Murphy with Yadier Molina, of course, being retired now. We'll have to wait and see, though. The Rockies have begun conversations with Cody Bellinger, who, again, was non-tendered by the Dodgers. He is an unrestricted free agent. He could choose to sign wherever he wants. Uh, I think the Astros have been linked to Cody Bellinger as well. So either way, that would be a pretty awesome rebound landing spot, the Rockies or the Astros uh, for Cody Bellinger. Brian Reynolds has requested a trade from the Pirates, though we have heard his name pop up in trade rumors in the past. And Fred McGriff was the lone player elected to the Hall of Fame by the Contemporary Era Committee on Sunday. Scott, any thoughts or congratulations to Fred McGriff? I mean, I have fond memories of Fred McGriff from his time with the Braves. When I really first got into baseball, he was their cleanup hitter. I don't think he's really a Hall of Famer. This isn't as bad as as uh, Harold Baines, but it's it's closer to that level than being legit, I think. so. And uh, I thought certain other players who were who the, the veterans committee or whatever they're calling it now could have voted in who were on the ballot for them yeah. made a whole lot more sense to be elected in the Hall of Fame. So it's just kind of hard to take seriously after a while. Yeah, I'll tell you what, it's not looking too good for uh, for Barry Bonds and some of those other uh, PED users from the '90s. But well, and and. and yeah, I mean, I mean, Kurt Schilling has his own baggage, but he, sure. on performance, is an obvious Hall of Famer too. And I don't think he does, he has PED suspicions, right? No, 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 no. It's <laughs> yeah, he's basically got everything but PED <laughs> accusations yeah. going on with Kurt Schilling. Let's get back into starting pitchers, and we're gonna get from we're gonna go from 13 through 24, uh, and now. 13 through 15 specifically. You've got Max Freed in this mix, then followed up by Framber Valdez and Kyle Wright. So two of your Atlanta Braves in this mix here, Scotty. Max Freed, kind of a Sandy Alcantara light. Awesome ratios, just does not provide the same level of volume as somebody like uh, Sandy Alcantara does. Framber Valdez set the single season record with 25 straight quality starts this past season. Uh, his velocity did take a jump. And as and also he added a new cutter that he used 10% of the time, which was a really good pitch for him. So now he's got that demon sinker, nasty curveball, and a cutter that he can mix in as a third pitch, which 
definitely helps. And then Kyle Wright, speaking of uh, a new pitch, curveball that he threw this year, 34% of the time. He's had it in the past, but it sounded like he reshaped the pitch and he leaned all the way into it. It was his most used pitch, Scott, and it was a breakout season for the former first-round pick in Kyle Wright. So three you know, younger-ish starting pitchers here who really kind of took that next step. Max Fried, Framber Valdez, and Kyle Wright. Now, these are three extreme ground ball pitchers. Valdez especially is, yep. is kind of an outlier in terms of ground ball rate, and you brought up the possibility of maybe those guys suffering from the, the limited infield shifts next year. Of the three, if we're just talking about that variable specifically, I think Kyle Wright would be the most worrisome since he throws right-handed. And um, you, you would expect the the, sh- the quote-unquote shift band to, to help left-handed hitters more, and, and obviously there aren't going to be as many of those in the lineup against a left-handed pitcher like Freed or Valdez. Uh, but right is right-handed. Plus, he's not as proven as those other two. And none of them are big strikeout pitchers, but I, th- I think right is had the lowest strikeout rate of the three. I'd have to double check that. It's probably pretty close. It got worse as the year went on for right. I know that much. So skepticism, a certain amount of skepticism is warranted for right. He was the majors only 20 game winner worth noting. Uh, and, and obviously the Braves provide ample run support because there seems to be no enthusiasm for drafting, right? based on early mock draft results. There's a good chance I'm going to be investing in him a lot cuz I don't like I don't think the expectation is he's going to turn back into a pumpkin. I think I think a half step back particularly because of all the games he won is to be expected. The shift issue maybe creates somatic concern. But I'd be happy to take him outside the top 30 starting pitchers. I understand we're talking about him finish he finished much higher than that this past year, but that's not where he's going in drafts. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. You, why would you, you don't have to draft him there. Um, and you still think he can be a valuable pitcher going outside the top 30. Then yeah, I can see it. Look, he still pitches for a great team in the Atlanta Braves. I did look into the BABIP of all three of these players while you were talking, Scott, and none of them had like outlier low BABIPs. They were all around like 275 to 285. So I'm going to keep my Please. eyes out for that, you know, one ground ball pitcher or multiple ground ball pitchers who have a really low BABIP, and I think that's who might suffer from this. I mean, that is a pretty low BABIP, though. But it's kind of in line with their career marks for all three of them, actually. So Well, but their whole careers happened during a time when there was a lot of shifting going on, right? True. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. So, <laughs> I don't know. I, I got to do a little bit more research into this and maybe talk to someone smarter than I am <laughs> to see if there might actually be anything here with uh, with the shift ban and, and uh, BABIP increase moving forward. But um, yeah, I'll do some research and I'll, I'll let you know what I find. 16 through 18 in starting pitchers this past year. We had Shane Bieber finish 46th overall. Tony Gonsolin finished 49th overall. And Tristan McKenzie, 52nd overall. Uh, two names here, Scott, who we are not used to being on this list, or at least not this high up. Uh, Tony Gonsolin, who really broke out, 2.14 ERA, 0.87 whip. He was always talented, and he's someone I know you touted as a sleeper last year. He just finally was able to stay relatively healthy for 130 innings. Uh, and then, of <laughs> course, he got shut down with a strained forearm. So, you know, the question yeah. is, what do we do now with Tony Gonsolin? Tristan McKenzie, another one where we've seen flashes of the talent. We just haven't seen him 
do it over a sustained period over or over the course of an entire season. And that's exactly what Tristan McKenzie did this past year. Shane Bieber really bounced back, Scott. I was worried about him. I had him on my bus list. I was concerned about the shoulder the year before. He put all that to rest. Um, the velocity, not where it was in years past. He's not the same pitcher that he was. He doesn't get as many swinging strikes. He doesn't get as many strikeouts, but uh, still found a way to be really, really productive this past year. So he's doing it differently, yeah. but I, I trust it. I actually do trust it when it comes to Shane Bieber. Um, those other two are a little bit tougher, Tony Gonsolin and Tristan McKenzie. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, Shane Bieber's velocity decrease came at the optimal time for him because even though he was allowing more contact, it wasn't it, it didn't cause a spike in the home run rate. And so that allowed him to succeed in spite of it. And because we don't expect the ball or the humidors to change back, I think that's going to continue. I mean, Shea Bieber still pitches deep into games. He still has a really good control. And so that's going to keep the whip down. I think if you're just looking at if if you're if you're just looking at the 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 profile of what this pitcher's strengths and weaknesses are, Shane Bieber is really close to Alec Manoa. Like I, I, I see those two as comparable and I, I rank them back to back because of it. Manoa. I know I keep talking about my rankings and we're supposed to be doing that next week. It's hard not to relate it back to that. Um, but I, I see those two as really comparable fly ball guys with uh, pristine control who consistently work deep into games I think both are probably more likely to have a low three ZRA than the 288 mark Shane Bieber finished with, the 220-ish mark that Alec Manoa finished with. Uh, but I, I, I think they're both similar. And I'll talk about Tristan McKenzie in relation to somebody in the next group. All right, well, let's move on to that next group, 19 through 21. In starting pitcher this past year, Nestor Cortez finished 53rd overall, Christian Javier 54th overall, and Max Scherzer 55th overall. So again, uh, two names we're not necessarily used to. Max Scherzer a little bit lower here because he only threw 145 and a third innings. Uh, that was actually the lowest of any full season in his career. The injuries slowly starting to add up. He missed a good amount of time with an oblique injury this past year. That is Max Scherzer. Nestor Cortez has now made 42 starts since the beginning of 2021. During that time, a 2.61 ERA, 0.98 whip. And I think I know what you're going to say, Scott. Him and Tristan McKenzie, very similar pitchers. They're fly ball pitchers. They don't give up a lot of hits. And they do a good job of limiting hard contact and home runs. And that's really how they've kind of made it here. Uh, same thing for Christian Javier. I guess we could just put yeah. all three of these together, Actually, right? Actually, like, <laughs> is what I was going to say. There you go. Uh, yeah, Christian Javier, another one where he's a fly ball yeah. pitcher, but he doesn't give up a lot of hard contact and he limits home runs. He also has this like invisible fastball, creates great deception with it, a ridiculous slider. He doesn't really need a third pitch. Uh, he's proven now that he can get by on those two really, really awesome pitches. So uh, these are new names to the... To this list, Scott being ranked this highly and finishing this highly, but I have, I have a good amount of confidence in each of them: Christian Javier, Nesta Cortez, and the aforementioned Tristan McKenzie. Yeah, Javier and 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 um, and uh, McKenzie were the two I wanted to compare to each other for for exactly the reasons you laid out. Young guys who are coming off their first season of being true fantasy standouts 
who have ridiculously high fly ball rates. And so in years past, during the the, the juice ball era, I, I might have been a little scared off by those fly ball rates. I mean, you look at XFIP, which uh, treats it 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 um it rather than so so FIP takes into account home runs against a pitcher, strikeouts, walks, home runs. XFIP strikeouts, walks, and and fly ball rate as so it, it kind of um it kind of uh measures a pitcher's home run the threat the threat of home runs off a pitcher versus the home runs actually hit so that's why i leaned more on xfip during the juice ball era but i'm kind of shying away from that now because fly balls aren't as often becoming home runs so christian javier 254 ERA, but 353 XFIP. You're like, oh no, look at that XFIP. Christian Javier is going to come crashing back down to earth. I don't think that's the case. I think he's just kind of a, his his track record alone says he's kind of freakish in terms of avoiding home runs despite all the fly balls he gives up. And yeah, I think in this era, especially, he, he's going to be a real standout. Uh, one way that he stands out from Tristan McKenzie compared to last year's is, is the strikeout rate. He had 11.7 K per nine did, uh, did Christian Javier, but McKenzie, what was his? Wasn't anywhere close to 11.7. It was not, it was 8.9. He didn't even have a strikeout per inning. So I think Christian Javier is going to be, uh, somebody who I'm I'm pretty invested in next year. I think he stands out from um from from a few of these guys we've mentioned in front of him, Gonsolin, McKenzie, Cortez, and uh Kyle Wright. Keep going up the list. I mean I think he's probably closer to uh eh, no we'll we'll say he's ahead of that group that I just mentioned. Gonsolin, McKenzie. Yeah, I'd take Javier over all of them. Yeah, look on a per inning basis Christian Javier was ridiculous last year. He just didn't provide as much volume as other pitches pitchers. But now that Verlander signed with the Mets, we know that he's not going back to Houston. You know, Christian Javier, this could be his first full year as a starter where they just kind of leave him in that role. You don't have to worry about it. And maybe he can right. get up to like 170, 180 innings this upcoming season. Um, Max Scherzer just kind of quickly touched on him, Scott. How concerned are you about these injuries kind of piling up here? 145 and a third innings. Again, his lowest of any full season of his career, pushing closer to 40 years old. Your thoughts? So, spoiler alert for next week as well, I rank Scherzer second. Mm. At least in 5x5 five five leagues. I already mentioned uh, he'd, behind, he'd, be, he'd be behind Alcantara also in points leagues. But, yeah, not really. I mean, none of the injuries he's had in recent years have anything to do with his arm, and we haven't seen the skill level diminish at all. Now, is it possible that all these aches and pains are go along with his age, and and that we're not really going to see we're not really going to see them stop? It's possible, but among all the worries we have for starting pitchers, non-arm injuries still seem relatively low on the list to me, you know? I mean, who, what pitcher do you not worry about getting injured, you know? Yeah. I I, I think Scherzer's uh, recent battles with injuries, especially given the classification of the injuries, is just not 
something worth worrying about that much. All right, let's wrap up here. 22 through 24 starts with Tyler Anderson, who was 58th overall in Roto. Spencer Strider was 65th, and Brandon Woodruff it was 70th this past season, mostly because he did miss some time and he was limited to 153 and a third innings, but he was still really, really good uh, on a per inning basis when he pitched. Again, this is Brandon Woodruff. Career high, 14% swinging strike rate for him. The other two, we know Tyler Anderson signed a three-year deal with the Angels. We're hoping that he can uh, learn from, not learn, but continue on with what he learned from the Dodgers this past season, leaning into that changeup, which was a truly elite pitch this year, uh, and getting the best outcome we've ever seen from Tyler Anderson before. Spencer Strider, Scott, I mean, man, you want to talk about breakout this year. 200 strikeouts in exactly 130 innings. The quickest to ever do it in all of Major League history. Actually beat out Randy Johnson by like two-thirds of an inning. Just ridiculous season for Spencer Strider. 13.8K per nine. That was highest among pitchers with at least 130 innings. He's a lot like Dylan Cease. He's got the slider. He's got the fastball. Some control problems, but potentially better than Dylan Cease. So uh, three very different names here. Tyler Anderson, Spencer Strider, Brendan Woodruff. So Strider and Woodruff are a lot better than Tyler Anderson, despite the way they finished this past year. I mean, Woodruff Woodruff has had actually had some trouble staying healthy, though it's not it's not the ways you normally think of for a starting pitcher, I guess. It's, I, I don't know that none of them have been arm injuries like in the case of Scherzer the past couple of years, but it, it hasn't been traditional elbow-shoulder stuff that's kept Woodruff sidelined. So is it something to hold against him, really? I mean, he has yet to reach 180 innings in a season. Was that 153 and a third this past year? If we're talking about performance, I mean, it doesn't get much more consistent than Woodruff. It's, it's definitely been ace-like the last three seasons. Uh, and I'd be fine taking him as my ace, but yeah, he's had he's had trouble lasting a full season. I think we've seen that from him. And Strider is really the big ticket item. I mean, early ADP, he's going ahead again ahead of what I consider the number one pitcher, Justin Verlander. So you're not going to be able to slip Strider by anybody. I think it's fair to say, and that's disappointing because I love Spencer Strider and. Uh, I'd like to be able to draft a lot of him. I just think I think he's going to be drafted for his very best case scenario. And a guy uh, whose career high in innings is at the 131 and two-thirds he threw this past year, I just I can't treat him like a top 10 pitcher. I can't. I don't care how good I think he is. He just you you have to be. That, like availability is the most important quality a pitcher can have. Resilience. That was the word I was looking for before with Verlander. You need to be, you need to know, you need to be resilient and you have to prove resilience at pitcher for me. I can't just presume it for you, especially a guy like Strider who throws as hard as he does and who was injured toward the end of last season. Uh, so that's, that's why he's going to be hard to invest in as good as I think he is. By the way, he's changing his number to 99 next season. Um, that's it. Excuse me. That is an Aaron judge only thing. No. Yeah. No. Spencer Strider's doing it. Well, screw you, Spencer Strider. Might to, <laughs> yeah, might have to order a little Jersey. I'm kind of like 99, you know, that's it's, I'm kind of over it. You know, the, 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 um, 
the uniform number meant to get attention, you know, like, look at me, I'm wearing 99. How many guys have done that before? Not many. Like, can't you just pick a more traditional number? I, I, he seems like a, an attention-y type guy, too. I mean, he's got the he does. the mustache going on. and he, I can forgive Spencer Strider for most things. But I'm just, like, saying as a trend. Yeah. This, 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 this showy uniform number trend. I think it's... I think it's uh I think it's worn out its welcome overall. You know? I, yeah, I mean I could see that. I didn't really think that way. I don't know. I guess because I'm so tied to like Aaron Judge wearing 99, it, it just kind of <laughs> makes sense. Like he's such a big dude and it like I don't know, just seeing 99 on his back, it just now, he doesn't makes seem sense. like a look at me kind of guy either. No, nah, not really. But so Yeah. Like I think of Turk Wendell, he wore 99. You know, you don't even know who Turk Wendell is. But. Can't tell you much about that guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Manny but, Ramirez wore 99 when he was with the Dodgers, right? Right, yeah. Little Manny Wood action. Yeah. Kind, right. of, kind of attention-seeking. Manny Ramirez, for sure. I, I would definitely <laughs> put him in that category. Uh, all right, top 24 from this past season. We just kind of ran through it. Of course, as we get closer to the start of draft season, when we do our uh, full... Uh, position previews and our starting pitcher previews. We're going to go more in depth on all of these players, uh, but just nice little recap for now. And of course, next week we will have a, an early look at Scott's rankings and maybe I'll try to get a guest on here, Scott, and we can kind of have you guys debate pitcher ranks a little bit because frankly, oh boy. I don't have any pitcher rankings yet. So I've got to get on that. I've got uh, about a month or a month and a half to get that. It's, done. So. It's messy. Like the, the, the downside to that, uh, high end tier of starting pitchers it being so plentiful is that I think there's a lot of room for debate, a lot of room for disagreement. I mean, the fact that the pitcher being drafted 11th overall right now for however long that lasts is my number one. Like it, it makes me want to slap myself and say, come on, man, you can't, <laughs> you can't be that far off the consensus. And yet, right. I think I, I think Verlander is the safest bet for next year. Sorry. Hey, you don't have to apologize to me. But we're going to wrap there. For Scott, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again on Wednesday night, Thursday morning. Bye-bye. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. 